Well, beloved, uh, some of you may have heard that uh, last week in Britain, they approved a vaccine for the coronavirus. Articles came out this week here in America as to when that was going to happen here in our own nation. There was all kinds of arguments about it as to why this hasn't happened yet. So day after day, we even hear about the rising numbers of the coronavirus here in our own nation. And we also hear a great deal about the rising deaths, don't we, in our nation. Many sit in worry over the virus. Many more sit in worry over cancer and heart disease. The whole world, friends, are gripped by fear of death. Everywhere you go, there's a fear of of death. We rightfully hate death. We wish we lived in a world where it did not exist. A world that was void of COVID, a world that was void of cancer, a world that was full of everlasting life. And it is the unique Christian claim that Jesus Christ not only promises us this eternal life, but he accomplishes it in his bodily resurrection that is said to be the first fruits of a coming worldwide resurrection and glorification. Many would like to believe it, this resurrection, this glorification. However, uh, that comes with them needing to trust the Bible, a book that many people believe to be just a bunch of words about God from man, a bunch of words that are little more than just a bunch of outdated stories. And yet, what did Jesus think about this Bible? How did he see it? This one that overcame sin and death. And what link does that Bible have to this world of everlasting life and resurrection, this world that we all want? Well, today we will sort out those answers as we walk through these final words of Luke. Only one more sermon here in this book after today. But the gospel according to Luke is written to this man by the name of Theophilus. By extension, it's written to us, and it's written by the, uh, by the person in Luke that was a traveling companion of Paul, uh, and he writes in order that he, that Theophilus, that we might have certainty regarding the things that we have been taught about the king and his kingdom. And of course, we know the king, who the king is. The king is Jesus the Christ. Jesus claimed to be a king. We saw two weeks ago that he was crucified for having bore testimony to the fact that he was a king. And Jesus was not surprised at this crucifixion, at this death. He knew that this was what awaited him. This is what we celebrate at Christmas time. Not only in his coming, but his coming to be crucified in order that he would sacrifice himself for the sins of those that would believe upon him. And then raised three days later in order to prove himself to be the king of kings. Now, if you recall last week, we left the disciples marveling at the reality of this resurrection. However, if you recall, we also left those disciples being slow to believe. Well, today they will get to meet the risen king. But first off, before we get there, I want you to notice the glorification of Christ. In particular, I want you to notice the glorified body of the resurrected Jesus. We'll get to Cleopas in a minute. But for now, just notice this glorified body of the resurrected Jesus. Luke, he seems to be going out of his way. To show us what Jesus' body was like. His resurrected body was like. So that we might know 
what our glorified bodies will be like upon our own resurrection at the return of Christ. In verse 34, we see Jesus has appeared to Simon at some point. Verse 36, Jesus then appears to the disciples and the others that are among them. And the disciples initially think that they're seeing some kind of a ghost. Some kind of a ghost, some kind of spirit. And Jesus asked them why they're doubting his resurrection. And we see in verse 39, Luke tells them, Luke tells us that Jesus invites them to touch him, touch his body and see. And Jesus goes on to explain, he says, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So what are our resurrected bodies like? They are like flesh and bone, presumably not so cold. <laughs> Luke goes out of his way to show us that. He shows them his hands and his feet. Presumably he's pointing them to the scars that heal our scars. He's reminding them of the work that he did on the cross. And if you're wondering, I get this question a lot. No, friends, we will not have scars in the new heavens and new earth. Jesus' scars are remaining so as to remind us of his healing our scars. But he goes on, Jesus goes on to ask for food to eat. Our resurrected bodies have, will eat food. Praise God for that. But we see that the disciples disbelieve for joy and were marveling. In other words, the disciples say, this seems all too good to be true. I'm imagining if my deceased father were to show up in flesh and blood. It would seem too good to be true. And yet, friends, Jesus said that this was what was going to happen. He taught that. In the Bible taught that. And the reason it happened this way was because it was for death. The reason why Jesus had to come in the manner in which he did to die was in order to defeat sin, to bring about the resurrection. It was because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice that he's then received, that sacrifice is received by the Father. And because it is, life then can spring up again. In other words, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Death needed to die in order to bring about life. And in this resurrection is the glorification, friends, of God's good creation. Do you remember way back in Genesis 1? God made the world and he said it was very good. So God didn't give up on his creation. He did not give up on it. He wanted to redeem it and to restore it. Just as he will do in the entire earth. And we see this redeeming of creation all previewed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to learn more about the resurrection of Jesus and what it accomplishes for we Christians, we'll go back to the sermon last week where I gave ten reasons, ten things that Christ accomplishes in the resurrection and ten applications for that. But for now, let's just pause and appreciate and imagine even our own glorified bodies. Friends, Jesus' resurrection is not a resuscitation. It's not a reincarnation. It's not a spiritual body, as Jesus went out of his way to point out. So in other words, the same body that Jesus has as a man is the same body that is resurrected and glorified. And so therefore, it is these bodies that you have right now, these bodies, uh, that will be resurrected and restored and glorified in the new heavens and new earth. 
And so these glorified bodies will be just that, though. It's important to remember that. It's not going to be some spiritual realm in the sense that there will not be material, but it will be material bodies. Heaven in its final state will not be a mere spiritual reality, but a physical one. That's why there's so much to imagine about heaven here on this earth, because it will be a material world. And so as Jesus' body was a first fruits, so does it preview not only our resurrection, but again, the resurrection of the entire world back into that very good creation that God made at the beginning. And this, beloved, this is what awaits us all. This is our certain hope that we have. As I said at the beginning, everybody wants this, don't they? Everybody wants the defeat of death. Everybody, every culture on planet Earth wants death to be destroyed and eternal life to be here. That's what we hope for in this COVID vaccine. That's what we hope for. We're all, we're all tired of this COVID moment, aren't we? We want to get to a place for the, where the ramifications of this virus have no effect. But friends, this coronavirus moment is but a microcosm of everyone's hope to deal with death once and for all. Everyone wants this material world where there is no evil and there is no death. And friends, Jesus Christ is the only one that not only promises it, but he also secures it and then he previews it for us in the world. And so for those of you that are having trouble believing that a man could raise from the dead, I'd also point you back to the sermon last week where I give six reasons why the most likely uh, plausible claim is that Jesus did bodily raise from the dead. But one of those reasons I gave was that if Christianity were not true, it would be easy to stop it by merely showing the body. There's the body. Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Stop this preaching about the gospel. But of course, they couldn't do that. The disciples did not steal the body since they knowingly would have had to have died for a lie if that were true. So the most plausible claim is that Christ really has raised from the dead. And so, Christian, we have reason to hope that Christ is who he said he was and he will do what he said he will do. And that we will have this world of glorification, of resurrection. And so no matter how bad it gets here, beloved, be reminded readily of this glorification that will come to us and to our world. In Christ, your death will eventually lead to a glorification on a glorified earth as you trust a glorified Savior that is defeat, sin, and death. But ultimately, though, friends, we do not uh, trust, do we, logic. We do not trust archaeological evidence for these realities, for this resurrection. Our trust is ultimately in the Word of God. And so on the same day as the resurrection, a couple of followers of Jesus that were not among the twelve, one of whose name was Cleopas, they were on a walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus after the resurrection on that same day. That's, uh, that's about seven miles distant from Jerusalem. That'd be, about you and, that'd be about the same as you and me taking a walk from here to Nationals Park. The resurrected and glorified Jesus draws near and walked with him. But the text tells us that they, those other disciples, Cleopas and the other guy, or other gal, were, they were kept from recognizing it. And Jesus asked them, I, can't, I imagine in my own imagination, I imagine he asked the question with a little bit of a grin on his face. What are you guys talking about? This literally, this question literally stops Cleopas in his tracks. And Cleopas says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem doesn't know what happened? Again, imagine who Cleopas is asking that question to. It's kind of a funny moment. 
Cleopas goes on to rehearse everything. Jesus, who we thought he was a man mighty in word and deed, he was handed over by the priest and crucified, and even we heard that he was resurrected. But they are left in despair, these disciples. Verse 21, because we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Meaning they thought he was the Messiah. They thought it was him. And then look at Jesus' response to this. Verse 25, it's one of rebuke. He rebukes them. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then after this, Jesus leads the greatest Bible study in the history of the world. This is one of my top five moments I wish I could have been there for. But thanks be to God, we'll get to do this in heaven. It's going to be great. And it says, beginning with the beginning with Moses, that's those first five books of the Bible, the law, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. If you slide down to verse 44, he does the same thing with the disciples. In response to their doubts, Jesus reminds them of all that he taught them in the Bible. And in both instances, both of these Bible studies, we see that in explaining to them himself in all the scriptures, the text says, this is important guys, in both of these Bible studies, the text says that he then opened their minds to understand. He opened, Jesus opened their minds to understand. We see that in verse 45 and in verse 32. And so maybe the most important question that you will be asked today is this. What was the most fundamental need that Jesus saw in the people he met post-resurrection? What was the most fundamental, in the mind of Jesus, what was the most fundamental need he thought they needed? Well, the answer is, they needed to have their eyes opened in order to believe the message of the Bible. That seemed to be the most prominent need that Jesus saw in the people he met after this resurrection. Have their eyes opened in order to believe the message of the Bible. That's critical for us to see. Their most important, most fundamental need, listen, listen, don't, don't, don't lose sight of this, this important uh, piece. It wasn't as though they just needed some information. For the most part, they had that, right? Cleopas rehearsed for them the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection. They needed more information, thus why Jesus opened up the Bible and started to teach them. But it wasn't merely information that was needed. They needed to have their eyes open to seeing and savoring the core message of the Bible. Their most fundamental need, our most fundamental need, your most fundamental need, friend, is yes to know the scriptures with your mind. That's why you need church. That's why you need discipleship. That's why you need Bible reading. But more than that, you need the eyes of your heart opened to see and savor and trust the Lord Jesus himself. Look at verse 49. That explains, by the way, why even Jesus says they need the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Jesus knew that the Spirit of God needed to clothe them and their listeners so that they might see and believe the gospel. So seeing as Jesus does here is not, again, merely information transfer. Right? Remember that the devil knows the Bible better than all of us. It's not merely information. It is that, but it's more than that. It, 
shows that the need for this spiritual power from on high to reveal the truth and cause the listener to re- to believe or to trust the truth for life and godliness. Because apart from this, don't worry about this stuff, guys. Just leave it down. Because we need to hear the truth, right? Apart from seeing the truth of the Bible, you're dead. That's what Jesus is showing us here. Jesus was the one that opened the truth. Christianity, friends, is not like other religions where you can earn your way to God. Y'all, don't miss that. I'm going to say it again. Christianity is not like other religions where you can earn your way to God. You cannot be smart enough to sort of choose Jesus. Get enough information to choose Jesus. That's not the way the gospel works. The true gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us that we need supernatural eyes to see the scriptures in order that we might then trust the message of those scriptures. Jesus' rebuke, remember, was not that they didn't have enough information. It was that they didn't believe the information they already had. He gave them mercy to see that truth and believe it. It wasn't earned. It wasn't like they were smart enough. It was 100% mercy from Christ working through the Spirit. And the same is true for us today. We still need the information from the Scriptures. right? We still need to be taught the truth. But more than that, we need Jesus to illuminate our eyes to see the truth and believe it. To trust it for our lives. So let me sharpen this even a little bit more. We not only need the Bible explained, you need that every day. You not only need illumination in your hearts to see it, but you need illumination in your hearts to see the core message of the Bible, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. In both instances, Jesus not only appeals to the authority of Scripture, but he emphasizes the heart or the goal or the point of Scripture. You can see it in verse 26 and 46. Namely, that the Christ, notice the word, you should circle this, that the Christ or the Messiah should, should, suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead. In both Bible studies, he pulls that out. That's the heart that they needed to see. Jesus understood himself to be at the core center of the message of the Bible. This is why Jesus says in John 5, 39, when he's speaking to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because in them you think that they have life, but it is they, those scriptures, that speak of me. Jesus understood the Bible is about him. He does this right here in this in this passage. In Luke chapter 24, two times in both Bible studies, he says the scriptures are ultimately about him. And so it, Therefore, beloved, in order to experience glorification, Jesus says you need a few things. You need Bible study, first off. Bible study from all of the Bible. That's what he's doing here. Notice that Jesus doesn't pick and choose which pizza of the text he likes. Right? He's pulling out that kind of crazy stuff in Genesis and Judges. And he's saying, yeah, it's all true. You, we need Bible study. He believes, Jesus believes, all of the Bible is authoritative. And so we as Christians believe all of the Bible just as he does. But you need Bible study. Second thing you need again is mercy. You need mercy. Mercy of Christ working through the spirit of Christ to illumine your hearts to then third see. That is see with your hearts the truth. In order that then the fourth thing would come. That you would then believe. Which is not just mere intellectual sense. It's trust. Trust. And he... Bible publishers out there, please start translating that word believe into trust. It's more illuminating, more helpful to see. We need the Spirit to illuminate us to trust, 
To see and believe, to trust what? Trust the gospel. That's the fifth thing. That Christ, the only God-man, fully God and fully man, lived that sinless life that none of us never had. And because we deserve uh, the punishment of God, we should pay for the sins of on our own. And yet God sent his son, this fully God, fully man, faithfully lived the righteous life, paid the sinner's debt on the cross and overcame it in the resurrection. Pointing all of the scriptures are pointing into that moment. Therefore, we need to we need to see have Bible study. We need mercy to see. We need to believe or trust what we see, which is the gospel. And so, friends, if you do a Bible study or you read a book and it does not ultimately get to Christ and his gospel, you have not dealt with the scriptures properly. You've not listened to good preaching. You've not listened to good teaching. You're not reading good books unless we get there eventually, because that's what Jesus wanted us to drive to. But once the Spirit illumines us to see and believe the gospel, what must we then do? Look at verse 47. What do we do then? After we see and believe the gospel, what do we do then? Sixth, we repent. You say, wait a minute, Nathan, you already said believe. Right. Once we believe, we see. Which leads us then to repent. The believing seems to be, be before the repenting. And to repent means to first acknowledge our guilt before God. To acknowledge our guilt before God. To confess our sins. And then second, repentance means to turn around from following self as Lord. And then two, following Jesus as Lord. Acknowledging guilt, turning around from following self and following Jesus. And from there we see in verse 47, this is where forgiveness comes in. Forgiveness for our sins. Forgiveness leads to then access to God. Y'all remember that? When the veil was torn, we could go in. To our Heavenly Father. We're now home with Him. Our sins are forgiven. They've been dealt with after repentance. Belief and trust and repentance. We now can go in in the blood of Christ. The forgiveness of Christ. We're now counted son and daughters of Christ. We are in Christ. That's our core identity. And that comes by grace. Working through repentance and faith. To bring about forgiveness. And all of these elements, friends, perhaps the most controversial in our cultural moment is this notion, verse 47, of repentance. The notion of following the Bible as authority is hard, but I think it's hard because we are taught that we are our own authority. Therefore, the idea of repentance, telling people that what they have done or are doing is wrong, and they need to stop, turn around, and follow Jesus. This is blasphemy to the me-centered notions of love that only wants to affirm. And yet, friends, until we get to a place, according to Jesus here in Luke 24, until we get to a place where we no longer submit to ourselves and our own passions, but instead to the Lordship of Christ as evidenced by our repentance and our submission to the Word of Christ, until we get there, we are dead. Repenting of sin that caused Jesus to die. Until we return from that, we can never see and believe. Which means we can never have glorification. But instead you will remain in condemnation. Those are Jesus' words, friends. Those are not just mine. And so why do more and more people in our city have a distaste for the Bible and for the gospel? Well, it's not because it's been tried and found wanting. No, it's this reason here. 
We don't want to move from a me-centered, affirmation-based understanding of life and love. And yet Jesus says, until you do, you will never know the life that he offers, even if you claim to believe it. Verse 47, forgiveness comes by repentance. Believing and trusting that we have, all of us, Nathan Knight included, sinned against God and caused the death of Christ's death. And so to sum up for us, what Jesus showed to be the most fundamental need for humanity after his resurrection, whatever that is, you would think it to be prominent for the world and for us. To sum it all up, we need the word of Christ to be taught, to be preached, to be learned. Second, we need the grace and mercy of Christ to give us eyes to see it. The core message of the gospel, that we might believe it and repent of the sin that caused Christ to go. We believe and Uh, We repent and we believe of that sin that put Christ up on the cross. That's the fourth thing we need to do is we need to see the heart of the gospel and believe that and trust in it for eternal life. And that leads us to then forgiveness, life, eternal. Glorification. This is the final message of Christ, friends. And so three very brief applications. I would think all of these would be obvious to us. Three very brief, obvious uh, applications. First, beloved, we need to eat this book. You need this book in your life. According to Jesus in this passage, it is not words about God. It is God's word to man. That's why, for instance, in our church's statement of belief, this is right at the top. This is what guides us. This is our authority. You need this book. The only way we're going to know and enjoy and increase our love of God and love of man is by dedicating ourselves to the Bible, by prioritizing it, by memorizing it, by meditating on reading it, having Bible studies, listening to it regularly, getting into places where people will teach us the Bible and then we teach the Bible to them. If you are going to know life and love, you've got to be dominated by this book. Eat it. Digest it. Second, for those of you that are not Christians... Pray for grace. Pray for grace that you might have eyes to see the core message of the Bible and believe it. Ask Jesus to do what he's shown in this story to have already done and he's willing to do. Ask him to open the eyes of your heart to repent and to believe. Plead with him for grace and know, beloved, that he will hear you and answer you. So if you're not a Christian, maybe you have thought that we Christians are a bunch of self-righteous yahoos that just sort of were smart enough to choose the best way. We are sometimes a bunch of self-righteous yahoos, and we are sorry for that. That's why you heard Joey confessing our sin time ago. But hopefully you see, friend, that we Christians are not Christians because of our really smart choices. It's only because of the grace of God. Hopefully you see that more clearly now. All true Christians know that whatever it is we have, our salvation prominently of all of those, is because of the grace of God. Nothing of us. Paul writes in Titus 3, 4 to 6, friend, he says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, listen to these next three words, He saved us. And then he clarifies, Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, he gave us eyes to see it and hearts to love it and to trust it. It's all of him. It's nothing of us. I'm a fool. 
It's only, whatever it is I have, it's only because of the grace and the mercy of Christ to see the truth of this and to follow it. Plead for grace, friend, to believe it. And if you want to do that and have a Bible study to talk about this, please come talk to me. We'll get you to meet with somebody. You can be social distant. But listen, this is really important. Talk to somebody about it. But third and lastly, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, look at verse 47. Here's our response to this message. We're almost done with Luke. Here's our response. On the backside of Jesus' resurrection, before he ascends to heaven, what does he want for us? Verse 47. That repentance and forgiveness of sins, note that word again, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Should be proclaimed to all nations. And so, beloved, if you are not involved in the work of evangelism and discipleship, I do not know what you mean when you say you're a Christian. This is the core of our work. And it's the glad tidings, right? We sing about this, this glad beautiful message we get to tell people about we've seen jesus's kingdom does not advance through military might it does not advance through intellectually superior individuals it advances from we beggars telling people where they can find food find life it advances in that way us speaking the truth jesus kingdom advances through gospel proclamation and by the way that's not just those of us that get paid to be christians (laughs) It's through all of us that trust Him. Jesus commands us to proclaim the gospel. Does COVID make this more difficult? Yes. But death, friends, is on the minds of the throngs right now. The coming of Christ at Christmas is on the minds of the throngs right now. So who have you, who will you share this gospel with? Choose somebody. Choose somebody to talk to about it. And hopefully this time next year, let's talk about it. Choose one person, just one person. You want to commit to trying to share the gospel with. And then speak up. Ray Chen will speak to us in a couple weeks about this idea, so I'm not going to belay the point any longer. But beloved, evangelism and discipleship is not optional for us. Our King has called us to these great tasks, and they should be our joy to proclaim. There's too much at stake, Restoration Church. We are His witnesses. We are His hands and feet. God placed us in this community right here. He placed us here. In this community. We are his light. He put us here to preach the gospel. We are his hands and feet. We are his mouthpieces. And so may we fight the good fight of faith. Out of, fate out of love and uh, for Christ. And tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. Share with our neighbors. And listen. Don't trust yourself. So many people are fearful to share the gospel. Listen. I don't trust. Nathan doesn't trust Nathan. I trust Jesus to save people. Remember. We saw that today. Jesus opens their minds. It's just your job to tell. And to call. God will do the work. Plead for grace to be given to those of whom you preach to. And then watch the dead come to life. Soon enough, beloved, we will be in those resurrected and glorified bodies. And we will be in that new heavens and new earth. But as we wait for that day to come, may we know Jesus by studying his word. Hoping in that day. And preaching until he comes. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the love of Christ. Thank you that he has overcome sin and death. Thank you for the hope of glorified bodies. God, thank you for your word, the Bible. Lord, we don't understand it a lot of times. But Lord, we do see its core message of the gospel. May we give ourselves to this book 
And may we then see the beauty of the gospel in it, in every passage that we read. And then may that compel us to see it, to believe it, and then go and proclaim it. And Lord, we pray that you would bring more people to faith in Christ from this community. For the glory of your name, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.